they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, October 22nd. It's the optional memorial of St. John Paul II. So oh. St. John Paul II, please pray for us. Pray Especially, for you know, that's so apropos because St. John Paul II wrote an incredible book called Man and Woman, He Created Them. And it's his theology of the body. And it's, you know, it would be really important for people to read this. Oh. I, I have happened to have Michael Veldstein's um, translation of his John Paul II's Theology of the Body, but powerful, powerful teachings on the reality of how God made man and why. But you know, it's noon, and um, we're supposed to remember three times a day that God became incarnate. God became man. So we're going to pray the Angelus here at the beginning of our show. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to thy will. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt amongst us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God, that we be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, made by his passion and cross, be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We're going to be talking about biblical things here, so we ask the angels to come and inspire <laughs> us. Um, so the angels do a lot to help us to understand God's word and his, his place. So we have this, you know, the beginning, in the beginning. And this is in, in um, it's interesting because John Paul II, his theology of the body, he starts with the passage from the gospel where uh, you know, the, the scribes and the Pharisees come to him and they say, you know, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, wife for any reason? And he starts with Matthew 19, 3 through 8 is the passage. And he says, Jesus takes them back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. He said, yeah, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife, but this was because of the hardness of your heart. This is not what God intended from the beginning. And he goes back. Jesus goes back to the beginning. How did God make it in the beginning? In the beginning, God made them male and female. And so this is how God made them in the beginning. And so we're supposed to go back to the original plan of God. What was God's plan? God created everything that is. Um, and the reality is, is he created it just by the spoken word. When God speaks the word, it happens. And life is a gift. The very fact that we exist is a gift. We did not create ourselves. Mm. You know, it's, it's interesting. People argue about the existence of God and, oh, you have faith, so you believe in this God, but I don't have to because I don't have faith. You don't need faith to know that God exists. You simply need to use your intellect 
And it's not an article of faith that God exists. It's a self-evident truth. It's evident in everything that God has made, the order in the universe, the beauty, the goodness, the truth. You can't have order and beauty and goodness and truth without an intelligent design behind it. You can't have anything existing if there's not an intelligent design. So God did this, and he, he wasn't obliged to. But in the beginning, he creates the world, and then he creates man, and man is the last creature he makes. He in the beginning, he makes first the light. God said, let there be light. And that, according to the fathers of the church, that was the angels. And then he makes all of the created world. And last of all, he makes man. And he makes man, and he makes Adam, the male of the human species. And then God says, Adam, he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. Okay. In, in Genesis 2, he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. Let us make him a suitable partner. So Adam is, God brings to Adam all the animals and Adam names them. But Adam finds among them no suitable partner, no one like himself. And so God puts a deep sleep on Adam and he creates a woman. He takes a rib from Adam's side and he creates woman. Now, when he creates woman, he doesn't take her from his head, Adam's head, and he doesn't take her from his feet. Woman is not above man, and she's not below man. She's equal to him. She's equal to him. Different, but equal. And God makes a woman, and he brings the woman to Adam, and Adam said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. So she's taken out of man. She comes from the side of man. But it is God who does this. It is God who does this. And God made a perfect harmony in the beginning. Adam and Eve see one another as partners to work together, to till the garden, to keep it, to build up the kingdom of God here on earth. They're, they're made in the state of grace. They're made in a, a state of perfect um, integrity. God gives them a gift above and beyond their nature where they're, they're, all their bodily functions are completely subject to their intellect and will, which our intellect is made to know the good and our will is made to choose the good. So we choose the good insofar as our intellect informs us that something is good. And in the beginning, Adam and Eve clearly saw without any doubt, without any confusion, that God was the true good that they were to choose. And it was easy for them to get their bodies to go along and choose that because God gave them a gift above and beyond their nature called integration that integrated all the faculties of their body to be directed toward God as the end. So when I'm hungry, when my body's hungry, that's to remind me that my soul needs God. And yes, I'll feed my body, but always remembering that it's more important for me to be in contact with God in my soul than it is to feed my body. So I'm not going to overfeed it. I'm not just going to feed it for pleasure. I will feed it for nourishment so that I can do the work that God gives me to do. When I'm thirsty, that's to remind me that my body thirsts for God and that I need him. And I'm not going to drink things that are unhealthy for me or too much of anything because it would, would be anything that would be unhealthy because I want to take good care of my body so that I can serve God. Even the desire for union between men and women in marriage that's made to remind us that our soul desires union with God. And, and that faculty, again, has to be directed 
and guided according to God's holy will. We can't just take our sexual faculty and use it any old way we want. For Adam and Eve, this was all very, very easy at first. There was no struggle. They were both naked and they had no shame. Why? Because they saw each other as persons to be loved. They loved one another and they weren't in competition with one another. It wasn't about, I'm going to manipulate you and I'm going to dominate you. And no, it was about, we will work together to build the kingdom of God. And, and God told them to be fruitful and multiply. So we will build the kingdom of God and teach our children about God. And it was also very easy for them. And something happened, something went wrong. <laughs> Enter sin. And you know, we live in a world where there's so much confusion about our sexuality all over the place about what marriage should look like even between men and women, what marriage should look like, you know, maybe it not just is between one man and one woman, all kinds of questions. Maybe, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm a girl and I'm a tomboy, well, maybe I was supposed to be a boy. Maybe if I'm a man and I'm effeminate, and there are effeminate men. There are tomboy girls. There are masculine women. There are effeminate men. Does that mean that they're in the wrong body, that they were meant to be the opposite sex? What is sex? Gender differentiation, first and foremost. And so we have this reality that God made. And then Genesis 3, we have this terrible, terrible mistake. <laughs> so you see, er to error is human. Adam and Eve were supposed to guard the, Adam was supposed to guard the garden. And um, he's supposed to guard Eve also. And so Eve is there and she's at this, there's one tree that God told Adam and Eve not to eat from. Don't eat from this tree. The day you do, you will die. And the serpent comes in and he says to Eve, so God told you not to eat from any of the trees of the garden. He's twisting what God has done already. She said, no, no, just this one. We're not supposed to eat it or even touch it lest we die. Ah, but you won't die, says the serpent. <laughs> if you eat from this tree, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Don't you want to know good and evil? God is keeping things from you. <laughs> and Eve sees this, and so she, she is tempted. She's tempted by a covetousness. She wants to grab and grab a hold of this knowledge that God is keeping from her. I want this knowledge that God himself is keeping from me. I want it for myself and I will take it for myself. I won't wait for God to share it with me. I won't trust God. Enter sin. Well, it's interesting. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? They sinned and they realized they were naked. So they take fig leaves off the trees and sew them together and make loin cloths. They make bikinis to cover themselves because now they don't see each other as persons to be loved. They don't see each other as partners in this great building of God's kingdom. Now they see each other as adversaries. And, and they also realize, you know, Adam realizes I can, I can dominate her and Eve begins to realize I can manipulate him. We can use each other for pleasure. And so herein is the core of the problem. The core of the problem is sin. Not what God made. God didn't make confusion. Sin entered in and caused confusion in the hearts and minds and souls of his creatures. I hear the music. We've got to take a break here. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. I thank all of our benefactors and all those who pray and all of our listeners. We'll be right back. Don't go away. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. And we want to bring biblical clarity to this confusing world we live in, and especially in the issue of um, our sexuality. And today we want to address something called transgenderism. Is it true that possibly God made men um, who are born as men, but he really meant for them to be women, and, and made women who are born as women, but, oh, well, no, he really meant for them to be men. Well, here's the deal. In the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, he, he, God said, he said, let us make man in our image. And so man is created in the divine image. And what are they supposed to do? Male and female, he created them. And then he says to them, what? Be fruitful and multiply. And he also says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. In the beginning, when God's creating Adam and Eve, this is, he's creating marriage. He's creating marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What God has joined, let not man put us under. So we have this dignity of the human person created in God's image, but we also have a, a complementarity where the two of them are working together. And this is in marriage to bring forth children and to propagate children on the face of this earth. Be fruitful and multiply, God commands them. And this is God's plan from the beginning. And so he wants us to understand he made us either male or female. Now, not everybody is called to the vocation of marriage. I will grant you that, okay? But remember, Jesus calls people to follow his example of not getting married, but doing that in order to make a sacrifice, a huge sacrifice. The greatest joy known to man is that joy that exists between a man and a woman in marriage who are committed to serving the Lord. That friendship that exists in marriage, and it should be a friendship, is a beautiful gift whereby the husband sees his wife as a sacred trust. Her body, her whole being has been entrusted to him to keep and to protect and to guard. And the same for the woman. Her husband has freely given himself to her to keep and to protect and to guard. So I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to my spouse. And my spouse doesn't belong to himself. He belongs to me. And so this is, this is marriage. This is this complementarity. This is what God made in the beginning, that man and woman would see each other as a partner and would give one another. You've, man finds himself, John Paul II will teach us, and the church teaches us, <coughs> in his sincere gift of himself to the other. Now, this is uniquely done in marriage, uniquely done in marriage in the, in the conjugal act, which is restricted to marriage because the spouses give themselves to each other as pure gift. Well, all of us are called to give ourselves as gifts to other people in service, not sexually, but in service to serve our neighbor. We're supposed to do good for our neighbor. Okay. In marriage though, a husband and wife have this unique privilege of giving themselves to one another in the conjugal embrace. But that conjugal embrace is supposed to be open to life. Be fruitful and multiply. God put a command. Be fruitful and multiply. And so when they give one another, give themselves to each other in the conjugal embrace, they're always open to the possibility of life, 
always open to the possibility that God will touch their union with another life, that he will give life to a child through their union. Okay? So this was God's plan from the beginning, and this is important for us to understand. And Mary, if I can jump in, what you're saying is a a biblical worldview of sexuality. Think about what happened in the 60s when the sexual revolution hit. All that was thrown out, and look at all the confusion now. And if you think about people who have same-sex attraction, the statistics show they have hundreds of partners that they're intimate with. See, that's not the way God designed it. One man, one woman. And unfortunately, they're not finding happiness because they just keep jumping to a new partner. And that's the beauty that God has given to us on marriage, one man, one woman. And I I was mentioning to my wife, I got a newsletter from the Sisters of Life. This is a, a one of our St. Joseph employees back in the 80s ended up joining that order. Um, so I'm really familiar with their order. They, they work a lot with the pro-life movement. And one of their sisters, Sister Lucia, she's a great writer. She has something to say about how special we all are called by the Lord. And I like the way she words it, that God dreamed you up. Each person listening, you're uniquely you. <clears throat> she says, our infinite and perfect God has no other needs. <clears throat> he doesn't need you. You aren't a cog in the machine, a slave for labor, a robot made to perform a function. No, God doesn't need you. He wants you from all eternity. Do you believe that? I hope so you do. Beautiful. He yeah. wants you. He wants I you do. from all eternity. He dreamed you up. I like that line. That is beautiful. He, yeah. He dreamed you up. With all your unique features, your eyes. Hey, my hair's gone, but he had my hair when I was born. <laughs> yeah, when I was a youngster. Your smile, Mary. Everyone here listening. The way you laugh, the things you bring that bring you delight, the way your heart is moved in compassion and generosity, the dreams you have for your life. Think about what sister's saying here. He thought of it all, and then he fell in love with the idea of you. That makes you special because you are. Something in his heart said, I don't want to be without you. See, we have to reread this all the time because so many people don't believe they're loved. That's one of the big problems, and they're looking for love in all the wrong places. So at a particular moment, in a particular place, He chose you, what, 20 years ago, 50 years, 80 years ago. He chose you to bring you into the being, breathing into you a soul, check this out, folks, that will last forever, designed for eternal happiness with the one whom desires you and awaits you. He calls you by name, and he has called you into a relationship of love with himself and others. That's why we say three to get married in marriage. My wife, myself, and God. God. But without God, our sexuality is really lost. Right, and it's not about pleasure. I'm not here to have pleasure for myself. And as a matter of fact, it's wrong to just pursue sexual pleasure for its own sake. Right. We're not, that's not the purpose of sexuality. The purpose of sexuality is union, love, and procreation, life. But here we have what, what sister's addressing is we, we are unique and we have, we are a gift. God made us. He gave us life as a gift, 
but he desires that we give ourselves back to him as a gift. And this is the first one we should give ourselves to as God in prayer. And then he leads us each to our vocation. Some people are called to marriage. Um, sister was called to religious life, which means she's a bride of Christ. Priests are called to be celibate. They're called to be married to the church, but to be Christ. There are other Christs in a very specific and unique way. Each of us was called to be another Christ, but the priest has a unique identification. But the point is we're made to be gift to one another. Okay. And it's not about using people for my pleasure. And it's not about confusion. And, and what we have in our society, again, is is, is a, a confusion. Now, the confusion comes from sin. Exactly. When Adam and Eve were made, they didn't see each other as objects to be used. Right. They saw each other as partners in a great... Symphony of love. Symphony <laughs> of love. A great... Love uh, the great play of life where God... It, it, and, and, and the overarching theme of the play is love. Amen. The, the gift of self to the other in order to, for the other's good. Mm. When we truly love, we desire the good of the other. And sin entered in and that became corrupted and confused. And so what happens, and this happens often, you get, you know, we know with homosexuals, many of them, they're looking for the, because there's some, some psychiatrists who've done a lot of work with homosexuals. And they actually... Homosexuals who will enter into a course of therapy to understand the roots of their homosexuality and follow through and finish it mm-hmm. will find out that they're either looking for the father they never had or their first sexual experience was with another male and they became confused in their gender identity. Yeah. They were introduced to sexuality be- when they were little, before, before they even reached the age of puberty before they even should have even had any thoughts about it. You know, John Paul II talks a lot about the latency period. Mm -hmm. Little children shouldn't be introduced to the specifics of conjugal love until they're old enough to be married, until they're ready to prepare for that vocation. Because what happens is it can cause great confusion in them. You're putting a burden on them they can't bear. I remember Corrie ten Boom when she was on the train with her father. Corrie ten Boom wrote the... um, the tramp for the Lord, but she also wrote The Hiding Place, mm-hmm. the famous Dutch woman who she and her father and her sister hid Jews in their home, eventually were caught and sent off to concentration camp. <coughs> her sister Bessie and her father both died in the concentration camps, but Corey survived the war and became the great, great preacher in Germany to preach forgiveness. We need to forgive these Nazis for what they did to us. But she was on the train with her father and this young man and this young woman were being inappropriate in public. You know, as we would say nowadays, get a room, you know? And so Corey asked about it. And she was about eight, between eight and 10 years old. Her father didn't say anything. He just got up and moved to another car in the train. And when they got off the train, Corey's father said, Corey, I want you to carry the trunk. And Corey looked at her father and she just began to weep. She had never disobeyed her father. And she looked at him and she was crying. And he said, well, Corey, what's wrong? I just asked you to carry the trunk. Daddy, you know I can't carry the trunk. It's too big for me. And he said, yes, Corey. And there are some burdens that are too big for you to bear and you need to let me carry them. Mm -hmm. You see, when you impose on children (laughs) the specifics of conjugal union before they're ready for marriage, conjugal union is about giving yourself as a gift to another person for life, which means that you're mature physically and emotionally enough to do that. In addition to that, it's about bringing forth children. So you have to be in a position to be able to raise those children. So when you start giving little children all of the details about conjugal union, you're, you're giving them something they can't bear. They're not ready for marriage. 
and they're not ready to raise children, you know? But anyway, so, so you have people who are confused because, you know, men especially in homosexuality, either they didn't have a father, a strong father figure, or they were, their first sexual experience was with another man. For women, psychiatrists haven't said a lot about it, but in my experience, which is very limited, I know that women who have been molested by a man as a child will oftentimes reject their femininity because it's a liability to them. And even in high school, this can even happen in high school. If a girl is, someone attempts a rape, the girls, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to be a man for the, from now on because nobody's going to do that to me again. And so what happens is it's sin that brings the confusion. And we're not here to condemn anyone who's living in confusion, okay? But there is relief from the confusion by reaching out to the truth. Who am I? By the way, whether you're male or female is in your DNA, honey. It's there. You can change the external trappings. You can ask the doctor to do a, give you hormone therapy or do an operation. But all it does is it tells your body a lie. It tells your body that I reject who I am and I'm going to be something I'm not. We'll be back with more. Don't forget, God created man in his own image, male and female. He created them. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, a biblical worldview of sexuality. We'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this 22nd day of uh, October, 2021, the Memorial of St. John Paul II. And we're talking today about um, that man created in God's image as male and female, the theology of the body. So uh, John Paul II, St. John Paul II, thank you for that. And I have a newsletter here for, called Catalyst. It's put out by um, William Donahue. Catholic League. Catholic League. It's put out by the Catholic League. And um, Bill, Bill Donahue is the president? Correct. And in this, at the end of this particular one, this is October 2021. This Catalyst is the, the recent publication, October 2021. And at the end here, he has the pathology of transgenderism. And then they have a whole two pages. So it's, there's too much here for us to go through the whole thing. But I want to mention a few things. The psychological damage. Okay, so first of all, you know, they're, they're encouraging what's happening is you have children who are confused. And, and, and here's the deal. You know, just because you are a tomboy, little girls, you're tomboy, you like to play with boys toys, or you like to run with the boys or whatever, that doesn't make you a boy. Um, uh, you know, effeminate men are not women. I, I had a cousin who was an effeminate man. And believe me, he was, he wanted to get married. He wasn't homosexual. He wasn't, he was just effeminate. And he, and he loved you know, dancing and he loved music and he loved, he, he used to make plays. He used to, he would put on musical plays in his, my aunt and uncle built a little stage for him in their, their, their basement in um, where they lived and they had a basement in their house and he built it and he'd bring the whole neighborhood and they put on big productions, you know, the King and I and the Sound of Music and he loved all of this stuff, but he wanted to get married and have a family. And he, you know, dated women and he never actually found, a, you know, a woman that he wanted to, you know, that could, he would marry. Anyway, he never did get married. But anyway, my cousin was not a homosexual and he had no confusion. He was a man. He knew he was a man. Now he was, he was, he was effeminate and that's fine. There's, there's lots of men who are, you know, boys sometimes are born and we shouldn't make fun of people. 
You know, just because someone doesn't fit your stereotypical idea of what someone should be like, don't make fun of them. And again, girls are, who are tomboys, you're not, you're not men. You weren't meant to be men. You're, you're girls. There was um, Patrick Madrid told a story on his, his um, program one morning about a mother, the daughter came. She was just a tomboy. She always was a tomboy. And so when she was a teenager, she said, you know, she heard all this stuff about transgenderism and, well, maybe I was meant to be a boy and blah, blah, blah. And so she told her mom, I think I want to get hormone therapy and change my gender. You know, well, number one, you can't change your gender. You might be able to change some of the external trappings, some of the cosmetics, but it's still in your DNA. What is it? XY or YY? Is that? I think something like that. I also want to mention the catechism of the Catholic Church when you're finished with your thought, because it ties biblically into what we're saying. But go ahead, Mary. And so the reality is, is so the, this girl, her mother said, look, when you get to be an adult, we'll talk about this. Well, what happened is the girl went through her teenage years, and then as she grew into adulthood, she realized, no, I don't want to be a man. I just want people not to make fun of me because I'm a tomboy. It's okay. And so she accepted herself as a tomboy. It's okay. I can like playing baseball or wearing pants and it's not a problem. And she grew up to be a very happy woman, you know, I mean, and that's, and that's it. We have to recognize just because someone has, and and that's one of the things they bring out here in the, the, um, the pathology of transgenderism in the psychological aspect is that 70% of children when they're little, you know, they're, they're discovering who they are as male or female and what that means for them. Okay. And in terms of what they're going to do when they grow up. And the reality is, is in that process, they need to be encouraged to realize that their sexuality is a gift from God and that they were either a boy or a girl. And that's just the way it is. And it doesn't, you can like little girls can play with boys toys and little boys can play with girls toys. But, but the reality is, is they will grow out of it. 70% of the children totally grow out of it. Now, if a child's been sexually molested, that confusion may carry over into adulthood. But the reality is, is telling them something that's not true. And this is, this is what the point, the biggest point I want to make is to say that a little girl who's born a little girl because she's a tomboy is actually a boy and needs to go through gender transition. Well, honey, you're lying to her. She's not a little boy. She will never be a little boy. She'll never be a man. No matter what you do to her body cosmetically, she will always be a woman in her DNA. And so, and, and within herself, she has a sense that this is true. And so there's always going to be this conflict within her. And she's always going to feel like she's not lovable because she hates herself as woman, who she is. And the same is true for boys. A boy who's effeminate, that doesn't mean he's a woman or was meant to be a woman. He's a man. And, and he can be a man as he is. He can be an effeminate man and still be a man. And, and the father of children. And the deal is, you know, if they're experiencing same-sex attraction, well, it may have to do with the fact that they were either sexually molested or neglected. So let's take care of those problems and help them through that confusion. Let's not lie to them and give them some gender, um, what do they call it, gender um, therapy, Mm -hmm. and then change their bodies to try and give truth to a lie. Yeah, Mary, this is very well said. I just want to recommend everybody to have a, a catechism of the Catholic Church. Go to paragraph 2357, 2358, and 2359, because much of what you're saying is supported by the teachings of the Church on this. And I would say this, that 
paragraph 2357, I've met people who have same-sex attraction. I mentioned it. You know, we all are called to chastity. I'm a married man. That means I don't have relations with anyone other than my wife. My wife, vice versa. If you're single, you don't have your expression of your sexuality and having sexual intercourse with any anyone because you're single. If you're a same-sex attraction person, here's what the catechism says. You're no different. Homosexual persons are called to chastity. We all are. Right. By virtue of self-mastery that teach, that teach them, that, them inner freedom. At times, by the support of disinterested friendships, by prayer and sacramental grace, they can and should gradually and resolutely approach Christian perfection. So in other words, we're not asking a homosexual person to do anything more than what a single person or a married person, because here's the bottom line in all this. We want to do it God's way because we know that's where happiness lies, not in my will, but his will. Right, and that, that whole section of the catechism there, beginning with uh, 23, it actually goes back a little further. Mm-hmm. The integrity of the person yep. is really important. It begins with 2338, mm-hmm. and then it, it lists a whole list of things that are offenses against chastity. Yeah. Lust. Yep. That's desiring to use another person for my own pleasure. Masturbation, that's wrong. It's sinful. Fornication, pornography, prostitution, mm-hmm. adultery, rape, and, and homosexuality. Again, everyone is called to live chastely. That's it. And the, the exercise of the sexual faculty as it is exercised in the conjugal act is, is naturally geared by nature. It is geared toward Union and procreation. And in, in homosexual acts, neither of those things happen. And it's actually a degradation. It's a degradation of the human person. When we don't live up to God's vision of ourselves, what God wants for us, it actually degrades us. Yeah. It degrades us. And, and this whole gender therapy, it has, it has dangers. And that's, I, I, I refer people to try, go to Catalyst, um, look up the, the Catholic League and get their catalyst and, and look at the October 2021 um, publication. And it's it's volume 48, number eight. And the deal is read what happens when these people go through gender therapy. And then there's a whole two pages of what happens psychologically. And many, many of these people tend to suicide. Yep, high percentage of what, are they happy? People who are happy don't kill themselves. No. You know, so th- there's a lot of negative, negative, negative Ugh. effects on a person physically, psychologically, and emotionally. And it's we want to live in the freedom of, of God's children as his children. And we do that by giving up sin. And for anyone, all of us are called to live chastity. And chastity means that sexual self-control where we are able to take and guide and direct our sexual faculty toward its proper end. And the proper end is to be used in marriage for union and procreation. So if I'm not married, I don't engage my sexual faculty deliberately to get pleasure. Um, if, If that accidentally happens, I renounce the pleasure. As strange as this may sound, I'm not saying the pleasure is evil, but I renounce it and I make the resolve. I don't consent to misuse this faculty. But if you're called to marriage, 
waiting until you are married. Being a virgin when you get married is a tremendous gift that you give yourself to your spouse. In marriage, when a man gives himself to his wife and a woman gives himself to her husband, they don't belong to themselves anymore. And it's supposed to be a free gift that is without reservation. I'm not going to hold back my fertility. I'm not going to hold back anything. And I haven't given this gift to anyone else. Now, I'm not condemning anyone here, okay? Life is full of mistakes. It's full of us trying to live God's law and falling down. When we fall, the only question is, did you get up again? If we sin, we go to confession. And by the way, you can go to confession for venial sins. It's a good practice. Because if we start weeding the venial sins out of our life, we're less likely to fall into mortal sin. But if we don't weed the venial sins out of our life, every sin we commit darkens our intellect and weakens our will and makes it easier for us to commit another sin. So we're not made to be slaves of sin. And and as Terry was mentioning, um, and I didn't bring my missile with me, but today's reading is from the letter of Paul to the Romans. Yeah. And he talks about this, this struggle that goes on within me. I, I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, I do. And sin is ready at hand there within me. There's this war within my members. Mary, let me just say exactly what that said. It says, brothers and sisters, I know the good does not dwell in me. That is in my flesh. The willing is ready at hand, but doing the good is not. For I do not do the good I want. I do, but I do do the evil I do not want. So this is uh, original sin at its best. I mean, this is what happens when the fall, what Mary mentioned on Genesis 3.15. We come back, we'll have more with the Bible with the Barbers and showing God's way for our human sexuality is always better than man or woman's way. Stay with us, family. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this Friday, October 22nd, 2021, on Bible with the Barbers. I want to thank all our listeners, all our supporters, all of those of you who have offered your sufferings and your prayers for us, and know that those of you who write in your prayer intentions, we do. We do pray for those. And um, app listeners, I'm still trying to answer all your questions. I'm hope I, I hope I'm getting to them. Um, if I answer a question and you don't understand my answer, you can always write me back and say, I don't get it. Um, so here's the deal. We're talking about human sexuality. And we're talking in specific that God made the human race as male and female. He made men and he made women. And, and that's the first thing of sexuality is our gender differentiation. That gender differentiation is actually written in our DNA. You can change all the external trappings. You can take drugs, which have, by the way, negative side effects. And again, I would, I would encourage um, every, all of our listeners to go to um, uh, Bill Donahue's um, website, the Catholic League, and get their Catalyst, um, volume 48, number 8, for October of 2021, because they have at the end of that, they have the whole, they have a whole where they give you the um, physical problems with this, what they're calling now gender therapy, where they're taking little girls. I mean, these are children sometimes, they're giving them puberty blockers. No, honey, this is wrong. This is abuse of children. Children are being abused. 
Children need a family that loves them. You know, there's a couple of true stories that are so important for people to realize. There was a little boy, and he was a perfect little, he was totally boy. He was the, you know, firstborn child. He loved being a boy, having a great time. He got to, oh, about five years old or so, and he had a, he had a little sister, and his little sister had Down syndrome. Well, after his little sister was about a year old or so, he started acting like a little girl. He wanted to play with her toys, and he started dressing up like her, and the parents were a little concerned, so they actually went to a therapist. And they talked to the little boy, and what came out in the therapy was, um, well, Mommy and Daddy, you love my little sister better than me, so you must love girls more than you like boys, so I want to be a little girl because I want you to love me. What happened was not any, and they weren't even neglecting him, but just that the little girl needed so much attention and he felt left out of their love and he wanted to win that love back. So now he wanted to be a little girl. There was a true story about a man who, when he was a little boy, um, the parents let the grandmother take care of him. But whenever he went to his grandmother's house and she didn't tell the parents this, she would dress him up in a dress and treat him like a little girl. And whenever he was a little girl, she treated him with so much love and affection and showered him with just affection and love and whatever. And, and so he got confused. And so as he was growing up, as a, as a young man, he was confused. And he didn't, am I a man or am I a woman or whatever? And some therapist, when he was, I don't know, in his early adulthood said, just do a transition and, and become a woman and you'll be happy. So he did the transition. And for 30 years, from the age of 20 to the age of 50, he lived with that. And he was never happy. He was miserable. And he writes about this himself, the purple dress. You might be able to find it on the line. I can't remember his, his name. And um, the, the dress was that his grandmother dressed him up in was purple. That's what started the problem. And it wasn't that he was a little girl or should have been a little girl. He was a boy who was being rejected as a boy. And this is what can, can cause confusion in people. And so don't condemn people if they tell you. I remember once a woman came to me. Anyway, he ended up going back. And in his 50s, had the, the, the surgery reversed to the best of the ability that they could reverse it. He said, I'm a man. I want to be a man. I was never happy being a woman. That's not what I was. And he realized the whole thing was a lie and a big charade. And, and he felt betrayed. And he was betrayed. So let's not continue to betray people. Let's help them to walk through confusing times in their life. I remember a woman came to me once, a very close friend, and she said, what would you do if I told you I was a homosexual, that I was a lesbian? And I said, well, I, I can just say that I can guarantee you, you will never find true happiness in pursuing that. Now, I didn't try to pressure her. I didn't say anything else. That was boom. And, and she went on to consider that. And she, you know, she's married and has a family. And she's very happy being a wife and a mother and a grandmother and, you know, a sister to her brothers and sisters. She's a sister, you know, physically. She, she knows she's a woman and she's not confused anymore. People go through times of confusion in their life and sometimes that's rooted in our own sin. Sometimes it's rooted in the sin of someone else. Maybe someone was sexually molested as a child and so they're confused. So what do we do? And unfortunately, you know, I, I know a tragic story of a, a, a girl who told her family, Catholic family, that he, she was homosexual, she was a lesbian, and so the family kicked her out of the house. Well, tragically, the girl ended up committing suicide. She just needs to be affirmed and, and, and directed through the confusion. What would you say to your son if he brought his girlfriend home and said, look, my girlfriend's moving into my bedroom? 
no, your girlfriend's not moving into your bedroom, sweetheart. This isn't happening. You don't live together when you're not married. Well, then don't kick someone out if they say they're, they're homosexual and they're going to live with their partner. No, honey, you're called to live chastity just like everyone else is called to live chastity. You can live chastely with the help of Jesus. I, I would encourage you to get in touch with a group called Courage. It was founded by Father John Harvey, a Jesuit, and it helps people with same-sex attraction to realize that they, you know, men are men and they're males, even if they are sexually attracted to other men, and women are women and they're women, they're females, even if they're sexually attracted to other women, and they can live a chaste life. They can live chastely. 90% of all, at least homosexual males, who will enter into therapy and discover the roots of their homosexuality can, can be completely healed of that attraction, 90%. But the rest can live chastely with the grace of God. And we need to support one another, not condemn one another. You know, as I live, says the Lord, I do not wish the sinner to die in his sin, but to turn to me and live. A priest is supposed to be able to deal patiently with erring sinners because he himself was beset with weakness. And Jesus Christ, the high priest, he really became man. Now, he didn't experience temptation from within, but he experienced temptation. But he never sinned. He never had original sin, and he never sinned. He lived as a human being. He knows, and he knows what it means to be tempted. But he will give us the grace to overcome the temptations. But we need to pray for one another. And, and there's just the passages on forgiveness in Scripture are just so replete. And it's not just the New Testament. We heard a priest give a sermon recently where he, where he was talking about, well, in the Old Testament, it was just justice. In the New Testament, it was just, um, um, it was just uh, mercy. Well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> in the Old Testament in Proverbs, it says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Be kind to your enemy because you might win him over. Mercy, have mercy on him. And why? Because God has mercy on us. Let, get, let the Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God pardons us abundantly. This is Old Testament because the Old Testament, the New Testament is hidden in the Old. The mercy of God is there present. Yes, abundantly. Read the Psalms. Have mercy on me, O God, in your goodness. In your compassion, blot out my offense. Wash me more and more from my guilt and from my sin, cleanse me. My offenses, truly, I know them. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned. What is evil in your sight, I have done that you may be justified when you give sentence and be without reproach when you judge. Oh, see, in guilt I was born, a sinner was I conceived, original sin. Indeed, you love truth in the heart, then in the secret of my heart teach me wisdom. Oh, purify me and I shall be clean. Oh, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Psalm 51, that is. Nehemiah, these people rebelled and they disobeyed. They refused to obey me. They were stiff-necked. But you, O oh God, are ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you did not forsake them. He's talking about his people. The prophet Nehemiah is talking about the people of Israel. 
You know, they go out of Egypt. God takes them out of Egypt and boom, they're crying against God in the the wilderness. They want to go back to their flesh pats in Egypt. They want to go back to their sins of idolatry and, and, and sexual promiscuity that they learned from the pagans. But God is merciful. He is merciful and he has mercy on us. And what did Jesus teach us from the cross? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Stephen prays as, as they're stoning him to death. Do not hold this sin against them. Okay? And Jesus tells his apostles in John 13, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. God is love. And the God of the Old Testament is not a separate God from the God of the New Testament. God is always love from beginning to end. He made us in his image. You are beautiful and good. You are made in God's image as a person, as a person to be loved. You are a unique, unrepeatable image and likeness of God. God desires you. He delights in you. He loves you. He likes you. Do you accept yourself as you are? Beg God for the grace to accept yourself as you are. Lord, you made me, Mary Danielle Barber, a woman. I accept my femininity and I rejoice in it. I rejoice in my being a wife and a mother, a sister, an aunt, all of the things that are feminine. I rejoice in that. You men out there, rejoice in your manhood, in your being fathers, brothers, husbands, uncles, aunt, uncles, grandfathers, whatever your relationship is, priests, your fathers, you're called to be fathers. Do you know? Do you accept the fact that you're a father? Can you be a father? Can you accept your masculinity and, and acknowledge that God made you a man and you are to be a father? In whose image? In the image of God, the father in heaven, the father from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth takes its name. We're all made in God's image that men are called to be fathers and women are called to be mothers. And God didn't make confusion in our gender differentiation. We're either male or female. So embrace yourself as you are. Give yourself to God. Renounce sin. Don't let yourself be ruled by sin. And don't let yourself be ruled by the the confusion of our age. You know, these these tendencies and these confusions will pass away. And they're going to leave a lot of scarred people behind unless we fight against them and acknowledge, you know what, God made me. And he made me as I am, and I accept that, and I thank him for it, and I return myself to him as a gift. He desires me. He delights in me. He loves me. He likes me. Accept God's love. Pass his love on. Love one another. And be loving towards your family members who are confused. Support them to become whole again. Help them in their confusion to recognize who they truly are and to rejoice in the gift that God made them. Thank you for joining us. I hope you'll be back with us on Bible with the Barbers next week. We look at the dignity of the human person. May God love you.